It's our mailbag episode, and uh, we have a little bit of news before we get to it. Nick, uh, Rodion Amirov, we've figured out that's the way to say it, and we are very particular about pronunciations, and we're going to uh, try to make sure we don't screw up any pronunciations of other people's names, the ones who've sent us (laughs) questions here in a minute, but... uh, uh, he, he just uh, picked up a nice accolade from his performance at the Karyala Cup, right? Yeah, he was named uh, the best forward of the tournament. Uh, he was a, a big part of Russia going 3-0 and and winning the tournament. Scored a goal in each of the three games. Uh, in the second game, he, he scored with, uh, I think it was under two minutes left in the third period to tie the game. And he scored in the shootout as well. Um, he, he played all... I think over 20 minutes uh, in each game. Uh, it was a really impressive tournament for Amirov, and it, it was great to see after his role has become somewhat diminished with Ufa and the KHL. Uh, the other really cool thing about it is that Russia sent a team of under 20 players. They were the only uh, team out of the four to send a, a team entirely made up of under 20 players. So this wasn't just as if Amirov you know, had a great tournament against his peers. He, he did this against some older and more mature competition. And uh, yeah, he showed really, really well. And uh, hopefully he can build off of it uh, as he returns to UFA in the KHL. Yeah, we'll uh, look forward to some of those clips. Uh, let's get to some of the questions. And I was going to screw around here a little bit first and uh, kind of, you know, ask some of my own questions and let on like maybe we didn't have enough. But uh, uh, we, we, we've got quite a few. So we're going to get right into it. So thanks to everyone who sent in questions. Um, first up uh, is uh, from JJ Burnett or Bernay. Uh, bad on the pronunciations right off the top let's go with Burnett 327 uh, uh, at JJ Burnett 327 who are your favorite current Leafs and what is your favorite goal they've scored during their career Um, so Keith let's uh, let's go to you first I mean I I don't want to go with like the obvious choice but like I am going to go with Matthews because he he is my favorite player and um one goal that jumps out to me as my favorite uh during his career is the goal that he scored against buffalo where he turned connor sheary inside out and then went uh you know over the over the goalie with i think wrist line and basically in the net um that was the, i mean i've we've sat here and thought of a million other options but that was like the the gut feeling one that that immediately popped into my head so i'm going with with matthew's one of the many against Buffalo, but that that one sticks out. Yeah, I've also got Matthews. Um, you know, he's he's my favorite player to watch. Um, you know, this is like the first time that you know we've had a guy on our team that it feels like he could score seven hundred goals in his career, right? So <laughs> it, it makes sense yeah. that he's our, our favorite to watch, and, and there's so many goals to pick from. And uh, you know, it, I have an honorable mention for the second goal of his career against Ottawa in that oh, four yeah. goal game. That was nasty stuff. Um, you know, th- that one really does stand out. It, obviously, the four goal game was something, but that play in particular, it was like we really might have something here. You know, he just showed so many different like talents, different on ways that to score. Goal. Yeah, and in that game, he showed so many different ways to score. Yeah, and like we've seen him score goals in countless ways through the early part of his career and yeah I could have easily picked you know an, any number of Austin Matthews goals as uh, my favorite too but I'm going to buck the trend a little bit here um, 
Do you guys remember in 2018, it was game one of the series against Boston. We were down one nothing. I think there was like, you know, three or four minutes left in the first period. And Zach Hyman busted down the right side. He like fought off David Krejci and then went inside on Charlie McAvoy, I think, to like get to the net and go backhand and roof it to tie the game. That was just, with the energy in, in the building and stuff. It Being was down one nothing too. Yeah, it, it was just that, that was one of my favorites for sure. But like, like you said, there's so many to choose from and we are like truly blessed to have a team full of talented offensive players like we've never really seen growing up that's for sure um like how many other ones could we could we talk about like that game against carolina yeah every goal in the carolina game basically like that whole comeback but like when matthews came in and did that spin move backhand pass across the ice through like three defenders right onto mitch's tape like that's just ridiculous stuff there was another one against buffalo that uh, overtime winner with like three seconds left where he just like it, the, it, you know it, it's hard to pick one because I, I feel like for me it's it's more just like the motion watching him shoot the puck and it's the the way that he just so violently rips it into the top shelf on like a solid you know 50 60 percent of his goals and it's like there's there's <laughs> yeah. so many examples that are just so nasty and i feel like that i feel like that goal too there was like that was a bit of angry austin too because i was i was thinking of that one as well and i i could be wrong and and correct me if i am um on twitter but i think that was a game where they might have blown like a late lead or something like that and he you know it was looking like they were going to a shootout and he just fired down the you know that violent wrist shot with some i love when matthews is playing pissed off it's hilarious to watch him do that because he just looks so cocky and amazing it's got to be terrifying for the opposition when when he gets that little like bite to him he doesn't always show it but you can definitely tell the difference when he's got that extra bit of i don't know like you said anger in his game he just looks like a, a totally unstoppable force, and he wires pucks through goalies like he did in that uh, Buffalo game in overtime. So we're we're big Matthews guys yeah. here. Breaking news <laughs> on that one. Um, next up is uh, from at Ryan Paul Perry. Hey Ryan, uh, the drummer for Loviet, uh, who we featured uh, as the, the the final song there on our last episode, episode two. Uh, Ryan asked us, Jumbo Joe. W or L and I, I, I feel like we took this as winger or center at first and then realized you said L and it's like win or loss and I think that we all think it's a win so let's answer the, <laughs> the winger or center question because we, we haven't gotten into that yet really um, for me I mean I, I feel like Jumbo's a center like I have a hard, really hard time seeing Joe Thornton on the wing I, I don't know why that is if it's just because he's you know so big and has such a, a big reach it feels like you know that's where he can be the most effective or if it's just because uh, you know that's where he's always been but um, I mean I know that he's slowed down a bit but I, I don't think that makes him he was never really fast yeah. yeah I mean and that's the thing it's not it's not really um, you know the, the key part of his game is foot speed it never was so you know you, you play him off the half wall in the power play and then I, I think you leave him as a center and he, he's he's smart right it's it's the IQ and he can use that reach to kind of disturb things in the middle of the ice and I think that's where, where you want him. if he's playing fourth line center which I likely think he is unless Kerfoot gets moved um, I think yeah he's a center and I think what it really means is that we probably won't see a ton of Jason Spezza at center like he's probably gonna you know take that spot but 
Um, you're right. I don't see him as a guy that moves to the to the wing like like Spezza did parts of last year and, and like he probably will this year. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm going center on that one. One thing is, um, look back at the last World Cup of hockey. Thornton played wing on Team Canada at that tournament, a team that was loaded with offensive talent, especially like at the top part of the lineup. You got Crosby and you know all all those guys. That's pretty common in those international tournaments, though. I like to yeah, see it, centers it playing is, the wing, especially yeah. Canada being overloaded with guys that play center. You, you often see them shift over to wing. But it it just makes me wonder if it, it might be an option for Sheldon Keefe when he's putting the lineup together. And th- there is a little versatility with Thornton and Kerfoot. I think that, I don't know, like I wouldn't really want both of those guys on the same line just because neither one of them really shoot the puck a whole lot. I think that e- either one of them could theoretically like Kerfoot played well on that line with Tavares and Nylander last year I think I would still prefer Kerfoot at center rather than the wing but it it does give them the option to maybe see if Thornton's legs can handle it maybe he does see some time uh, beside Tavares and Nylander or I think it's more likely that he does end up at center but the versatility is there and, and Keefe will have options uh, next up from at Mare out loud what should the Leafs do about Zach Hyman and why is the answer literally anything and everything to keep him forever um, <laughs> that that about sums it up Nick do you want to take that one <laughs> shout out to Mare um, I think that Hyman really wants to be a Leaf I think the Leafs really want Hyman to be a Leaf um, he, he's just He's a different flavor in their top six. He he does different things than the the rest of the guys that fill out that part of the lineup. He like simply put, he's one of the best four checkers in hockey, and it, it, his mobility and his speed might begin to abandon him later in his career. But I still think that, given how much he wants to remain a Leaf, I think there's a path there to a long-term deal that might help keep the uh, cap hit down. He's going to be 29, I think, when his next contract starts. Um, I'd say if you can sign him for six years and keep it under four million or around four million a year, I I think that you've absolutely got to do that. He's just such a valuable member of this team. He's important in the locker room, and he he. He does so many things that this team has lacked, at least prior to the uh, acquisitions that they made this offseason. So I think that uh, they they really should do almost anything and everything to keep him forever. I mean, you have to have a cutoff price for everybody, but I think that... um, both parties would like to continue the relationship long term. I, I was honestly one of those guys back in early in Hyman's career where, you know, I, I was kind of expecting the ceiling to be fourth liner and, and was worried that, you know, the uh, he would be kind of the, the remnants of the truculence days or something like that. But the consistency of the effort that guy puts out every night is is crazy to watch. Um, you know, I, I think that he understands that, you know, he's best benefited from being in Toronto. He's got a bunch of side stuff right like he has his yeah. uh, his gaming team he's got like uh, i think he does kids books Children's too books, right yeah. Yeah. L- let's not forget that he basically decided he was going to be a leaf and i don't think that the price is going to be as high as you might think it would be for a guy who put up the numbers that he did last year like he's always going to be a guy who probably has a really high shooting percentage just because of where he takes most of his shots from he's always digging around the crease and 
batting in rebounds and just jamming at pucks in close. And I think that that's, um, you know, it, it would have been no question if he hadn't had that breakout offensive season that, you know, you, you could probably get him long term for under four million. But I, I mean, how much of a discount, even for a guy who we think probably wants to be in Toronto and can, you know, it seems like a guy who's really well equipped to be a Leaf too, right? Like he just, he handles the media so well. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it seems like it's where he wants to be, but, you know, you got to think that there would be a huge payday out there for him eventually. So, um, Keith, what, I mean, what kind of a number would be too high for you? Unless you're, you're looking at something shorter term, um, you know, I don't think anything that starts with a five makes any sense for him. No, but absolutely, I'm I'm fine paying him four, um, in even in the four or five range. But again, I'm I'm more weary of the term. Like I, yeah, he's a guy who's you know, given six could, years. Down as he exactly, ages. he's not a he's not like an offensively gifted guy that's going to be able to make things happen when he loses the motor a little bit. Yeah, so I would. He's a guy that like, and he's putting fucking miles on his body right now. I. I would love a like four by four personally, but I don't see that happening. I think he's earned the right to probably a six year deal. So I don't know it, that contract scares me a little bit um, because not because of the money. I just I I have a bad feeling that that we we don't end up locking him up, but it's just because of the fact that somebody's going to overpay for him. I, I just think that the he's like the one player who might sacrifice some money for for knowing that he would would retire. Yeah, I can see that too, for sure. Yeah, that's not to say that I have any inside knowledge of what Zach Hyman wants, but (laughs) yeah, no, I hear you. Like he's done nothing but display those kind of qualities, basically demanding to come to the Leafs. And, you know, he seems to take on a leadership role pretty quickly. Um, plus, like Cam mentioned, all the other side ventures. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, I would love to see a four, even a five-year deal. Six just scares me. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. But uh, I, I think that it, sometimes you've got to give in these negotiations. And if you want to like convince him to maybe get that annual value down a little bit, you might have to bend a little bit on term. Uh, and we want to mention as well that Mayor was a big announcement there last week for the Leafs Nation. Um, where they're teaming up with the Toronto Six to to provide coverage uh, this season. Uh, so you, uh, Mayor has been working on yeah, that. Yeah, outstanding work by Mayor and John, uh, our managing editor at uh, the Leafs Nation. They've been uh, they've had this in the works for a little bit with the Toronto Six. It's really exciting for our whole team over there that that we're going to be getting uh, official access to to cover the Six in their debut season. Yeah, and we'll talk a little more women's hockey a little later in the show. Uh, Next up from at Al Ferguson 666, what are your expectations for Dermot? Um, Nick Norris? (laughs) Uh, Maybe someday. I don't know if he'll get the minutes this year. (laughs) No, uh, seriously, though, um, we talked about a little bit on the last episode that like there's three sure things in the Toronto defensive unit and i think that's the the top three spots are going to be made up of muzzin riley and brody in some fashion i I think that the other three spots are are pretty much up for grabs with justin hall perhaps having a bit of an inside track but i I think that there's definitely a, a path there for dermot to steal a job in the top four i think that the organization would very much like for dermot to progress to the point where they could trust him with consistent top four minutes um, 
yeah, they're they're all gonna play in the uh, in the top six at some point. Like Bogosian's not gonna sit out every night. Lettinen's gonna play. Justin Hall isn't gonna sit out very often. I wouldn't think. Uh, I expect Dermot to really step up this year and and show that he is capable of of playing alongside a partner like Muzzin or Riley in heavier minutes. He's crushed third pair minutes to this point in his career, and this is just the the next step. You have to find out what you have in him and exactly how valuable he is to the organization. And the only way to do that is to see how he handles those kind of minutes. Yeah, that was that was gonna be my point too. Is that I think in super sheltered minutes against you know other teams third and fourth lines we've seen that he can handle that um i think it's going you know especially with the the kind of betting on himself a little bit i guess with the contract but um i i don't know i i think that i think i personally would like to see him with with hall or take hall spot sorry with muzzin yeah um i would love to see that get a fair shake the fact that they've already come out and said he's playing on the right side i think that works in his advantage obviously there there seems to be a bit of a log jam on the left side um i think it, well that that said though i'm, I'm pretty excited for for letting too so maybe maybe a letting and dermot third pair might might you know get him to the next uh, kind of area in his career too but I, i'm looking forward to seeing um what he can do in top four minutes and i think like you said it's you know it's not like he's in, in any kind of danger of getting up there in age or anything like that but still i think it's time to kind of see what you have with them and give him an extended look uh with a solid partner beside him like muzzin uh at, at a bit more of tougher competition it feels like he's been around a really long time he hasn't even played like two full seasons worth of regular season games due to various injuries in the early part of his career. So the sample size is getting there, but it's still not that large and he doesn't have a whole ton of experience. So there's still room to grow there. The the toolkit is, is really good. The, The skating is excellent. I think he, he's a heads up defender on the rush more. So if he can, you know, get some of that in-zone coverage straightened out and be a little more physical down low. Big year for him to get paid too. Yeah. I mean, if this is, that's gotta be, he's on a show me contract. It's there's serious uh, expansion draft implications here too, because, because if you look at it right now, the Leafs would theoretically go with the, the seven forwards and three defensemen route. I don't think that they're going to leave Morgan Riley, TJ Brody or Jake Muzzin unprotected. I mean, anything's possible, but, yeah, it's definitely a big year for Dermot, and uh, if he's going to show that he's, uh, if he's going to become a part of the Leafs' long-term uh, future, this is the year that he has to take that step. Yeah, he he has to um, he has to show that you know he's ready to step right into a top four the, the following season and uh, and be trusted in that role uh, every night. Yeah. And he um, and I, I would I would suggest that the other thing that I would like to see this year I think is is a bit more production. Um, you know, we've talked about a lot about the tools. Um, you know, I, I think that we'd like to see him put up a little bit better numbers. He obviously, uh, you know, his, his fancy stats are good. Uh, taking on those those lower uh, level competition but uh, I, I think that you know if he could turn that into a little bit of offense I think that would go a long way to showing that you know he can contribute a little higher up the lineup too it's like his problems seem to occur in 
either zone. He's fantastic in transition both ways, I think. He like carrying the puck up ice and moving it out of his own end and defending the rush. He can skate himself out of trouble. Yeah, sure. absolutely. But it's almost like he tries to do that sometimes in the offensive zone and he just kind of gets lost. Uh, I think there's all kinds of skill there for him to be a productive player, you know, like at least I think a 30 point defenseman in the future, potentially, but he passed the puck to Matthew. <laughs> yeah. That's if you're playing, a good, good start. <laughs> play, if you're playing top four minutes and you're getting on the ice with uh, any of those big forwards on the team, you, you should be able to put up a few points. <laughs> uh, next up, we got a three pack from at empire. Uh, That's a great name. It is. Great handle. What is the realistic range of outcomes for Miko Letton in this year? Let's just rattle through these ones. Uh, we were just talking about him a little bit. Um, Keith, what do you what do you see for Letton in, in terms of uh, ceiling? I'm excited for Letton, but I think he's going to get eased into the lineup. Like I don't think they're going to... I think he has, you know, by the tools that he, that he has and, and kind of what he's doing in the KHL and, you know, the kind of track record that he has, I think he projects by all accounts to be a top four NHL defenseman but maybe that's not something we see until 20 or 30 games into the season so could be uh, he could be on a rotation in and out of the lineup with with uh with Bogosian or or even you know Sandine so I'm not I'm not sure if we're gonna see like massive point totals like he's putting up over there but um yeah I'm just looking to see like a guy that can adjust to the North American style and uh you know just not be a liability on the ice defensively um, if he can come in and, and be a steady, you know, guy on the third pair and then move his way up the lineup, I think that's a fucking massive win. I like the way that the question is worded. <laughs> Anything really is a, a realistic outcome for Lettinen just because we have seen guys who were dominant players overseas c- come over to the NHL and, you know, flame out pretty quickly. Not saying that's going to be the case with Lettinen. There looks to be a, a lot of really intriguing skills there. I think, like you said, he's probably in a rotation, at least in the early part of the year. There's there's a lot of bodies on the back end. All those guys are going to get their games. There's definitely been some level of opportunity promised to Lettinen. Um, I think that he definitely has the ability to, to be a, a number four or five NHL defenseman who excels on the power play. And like you, you said, Keith, the, the point totals probably won't be there in the NHL the way they are in the KHL just because he's not going to be the Leafs number one power play guy I I wouldn't think yeah because he's probably not even go, going to be in the lineup every night so I'd say that that job is still Riley's on the number one power play unit but if Lettinen is in there I'd say he's definitely your guy quarterbacking the second unit and he's looked incredibly dangerous as a power play weapon in the KHL and, and his heavy shot from the point, that's something that's been kind of missing as a weapon on, on the Leafs power play. I, I think, yeah, he, he could really surprise this year. I don't think he's going to end up the, going the way of Igor Ojiganov, but I wouldn't pencil him in for a Norris trophy just yet. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, best case is probably he, he can really come in and, and slide into that top four if he really kind of shows a proclivity for, you know, moving the puck and actually being able to defend against some of the bigger forwards and maybe he moves up quickly and, and you know, by mid-season you're looking at a top four guy. I think that's kind of the the best case, but um, we'll move on. Uh, next one, how likely is Mikheyev to lock in a spot on Tavares' line or generally in the top six? Um, 
You know, I, I think that Mikheyev is like he's he's kind of the wild card, right? Like we, we've seen, you know, obviously a guy who gelled really, really nicely and, and seemed to be really finding his footing in the league uh, pretty quickly. And then obviously the injury, um, he, he was kind of a non-factor in playoffs and was really taking time to round back into form. Um, so it's, it's hard to say what we're going to get. I would obviously hope that, you know, it'll be a little closer to the... Uh, the first version that we saw. And, you know, I, I think that he, I, I guess I would say he's probably got a, a, about as good a chance as anyone uh, who's not already penciled into a top six role to, to earn one. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah. I, well, I think we can all agree that five spots in the top six are basically spoken for with Matthews, Mariner, Tavares, Nylander, and Hyman. Uh, I, I think Mikheyev's spot might be determined more so by where other people fit rather than where he's the best fit because I think he's got versatility and, and can be effective on the third line and on the second line like we saw last year with Tavares. Um, it it kind of comes down to where the other pieces fit in, how you want to construct your bottom six, I think. And there's the question of who's playing third line center between Kerfoot and Thornton. And like I said earlier, I don't know if Kerfoot and Thornton fit together. So that's that's something that might become a consideration for where you're slotting in Mikheyev. Perhaps Kerfoot ends up on the wing with Tavares and Nylander again, and you have a third line made up of uh, Thornton, Mikheyev, and Jimmy VC or Nick Robertson or Pierre Engvall or whoever. Yeah, I think it, I think the fact that he's done it before probably gives him the inside track on that on that spot with Tavares, kind of the the incumbent kind of thing coming into it. But that's assuming that you know nobody really comes out and steals it in camp like if 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 everybody just kind of you know falls into place he probably ends up back at least to start uh, on that left side with with Tavares but um you know a wild card for me is if you know somebody like Nick Robertson comes in and absolutely lights the world on fire in training camp and and the preseason if there is one and you know what what are you going to do with him he's going to get his his little you know eight game audition or whatever it might be I don't know. I can see a guy like that coming in and just being a trigger guy for Tavares. But again, the incumbency of, of Mikheyev probably goes a long way for the comfort level of Keefe, just knowing that he's got a guy who's shown that he can play with Tavares and, and Nylander and, uh, you know, can go be a, a Zach Hyman light for them in, in a way and dig pucks out and get pucks onto the playmaker stick and, and, and isn't a, a guy that's going to cheat you in, in his own zone. So more than likely, I think he starts in that spot. But again, that's barring nobody kind of steals it from him in, in training camp yeah i think cam said it best uh, he's got as good a shot as anybody exactly and uh final one from at vitamin empire are there reasons to believe riley can perform more like 2019 than 2020 going forward um i think that you know we, we got to hope for it i think that um the skill around uh, this team, like you need Mo to obviously be your your number one guy, and I think that we've just we've seen Morgan Riley on on teams with such bad blue lines, and it's going to be nice to see him on one that doesn't you know suck outwardly, yeah. right? Yeah. Keith, what are your thoughts? On? He's twenty six years old. Like that's the thing that I I always have to check myself with on Riley. Like people were, were writing him off like th- two years ago when he was like 23 or 24 years old as, as you know, not not a guy that's going to take that next step and be a true, you know, top pair defenseman. I think, yeah, I mean, he battled some injuries last year. He, you know, he had a, a down year, but I have no reason to think that we're going to see 
you know a, a downward trend start right now or, or even just a, a plateau at where he was last year I think he absolutely has the ability to be 2019 Riley is he going to score 70 whatever points again well no it's a shortened season but even on a point per game probably not um, you know that might be his kind of peak in terms of his production but um, like you said Cam he's he's going to have a partner this year and um, I, I you know he's not going to be with Ron Hainsey and, and whoever the fuck and Zaitsev and whoever else he's played with um, I again I don't know if you're going to see the the production but I don't I don't think you're going to see the down year that he had last year but the big thing with Riley last year he was never healthy he came into the season there was reports at the beginning of the season that he was dealing with some kind of lingering nagging injury he didn't even look like the same player you could totally tell he wasn't he didn't have the explosiveness he wasn't skating the puck up ice like he he did before or jumping into the rush with the same kind of aggressiveness and it was hindering his defensive play as well which is already probably like the weakest part of his game i don't think anyone would argue that but like you said, Keith, the chances of him scoring 70 or at a 70-point pace again, that, that's probably not going to happen. But I think he's definitely closer to the 2019 version of Morgan Riley than the 2020 version. There's just, Nothing really went in his favor last year. He didn't have a steady partner. He, he went back and forth between CeCe and Barry. Neither one of those really worked out. And he was banged up all season, missed a ton of time came back and played what was it one game and then the season was postponed yeah and came back and had the you know the five games against columbus i think he's definitely primed to have a bounce back year but probably just not to the same level of production that we saw in 2019 yeah he could but he could easily be a 60 point clip guy for the next four or five years no problem oh, a- with the absolutely. offense with the offense that's around him I, no i don't have any concerns about that but if you'd ask me if i'm concerned about his contract i don't know if we have that question coming up but that's a bit more that's a that's a different question. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna get to that one next. Uh, thanks for those three. Uh, next from at the Roy Stark asks, what type of contract can Morgan Riley expect from the Leafs once his current deal is up? Uh, is there a scenario where he isn't a Leaf? Uh, Nick, do you want to tackle that one first? Oh, I hate to think of a world where Morgan Riley isn't a Leaf. He's been like, you know, those dark years before we had Matthews and Mariner and Nylander even to dream on them as prospects. Like Riley was the basically the lone bright spot. You know, you can talk about Nazem Kadri too, but having Riley in another jersey would would be a bad time for me, I think. But um, it's tough because he's going to be worth more than his current cap hit. He's not signing for $5 million a year again. And we all know how tight the Leafs are to the cap. We all know that it's not likely to rise in the next couple of years before or by the time that Riley's current deal expires. Uh, I think there's definitely a scenario where he isn't a Leaf simply because of that and the fact that they do have some more organizational depth on the left side, especially now that they're talking about Brody as a right side defenseman. But in a world without Morgan Riley, he could also play the left side. And you've got Travis Dermott still here. You've got Rasmus Sandin coming, along with a couple of other prospects who are probably another few years away. But the point is, there is in-house replacements for Morgan Riley. Jake Muzzin can be your your top pair left-side defenseman, at least for a couple of more years. I think that uh, they definitely would like to keep Riley in the fold, but with the salary cap limitations, it's going to be tough. I think he's going to be asking, for, even in a in a 
COVID-19 world, he's going to be asking for, I'd say, at least $7 million a year, probably even more than that. Um, that might be a tough ticket for the for the. He's going to be somewhere in. in between, somewhere in between Krug and Petrangelo, right? Yeah, like that'll be, I, I would say, that, especially if range. he has that yeah. bounce back year. Right. Yeah. Th- this year, like we we talk about, um, yeah, it's going to be a, that's probably the that might go down as one of the uh, most difficult decisions of Kyle Dubas's tenure as uh, Leafs GM. Yeah, I don't really have anything else to add to that, just simply because I really don't know. That's the biggest question outstanding for the Leafs for me. Not not the goaltending, not you know how the line's going to come together. It's what happens with Riley. You know, come trade deadline, the end of the year, next. You know, what 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 is his kind of future looking like, and and how much is he going to sign for? Like he's been playing on a pretty good you know five mil for for what you've been getting for him. He's definitely been underpaid. Yeah. What is he going to look for? Um, and, and we talked about it with Hyman too. This is another guy who is. It clearly loves beyond, the beyond yeah at that and beyond his on ice accomplishments he's he's valued in another way by the Leafs front office and in the locker room and by their coaching staff he's one of those he, he's a core member of this team right now and losing him would be chipping away at your core no matter how you slice it so it's definitely going to be a a tough decision and a tough pill to swallow if they have to move on from them. Yeah. Just looking at some of these recent, uh, you know, big ticket UFA deals, like it's, you can't imagine him having much of a case, especially with the cap situation right now to get close to eight, but like six and a half is a shoe in like it's, and it's probably going to be North of seven. You'd have to think based on the market. And and I don't even know how you fit him in at seven. Like say if he gets a seven by seven, is that even, feasible for the Leafs like how do you make that work uh next question uh from at cm mccachran that's my little sister courtney uh do you guys like nylander with long or short hair yeah yes. next question next. <laughs> i feel like nylander is like um you know like when i think of like classic nylander it's with like the full flow, right? Like I, I don't know about you guys. Oh yeah. oh yeah, the big beard, the flow. When he's weaving through the neutral zone with the puck on his stick, the hair is just going like a cape in the wind. Thing of beauty. Yeah. No, I don't need any more Lou Lamorello era. <laughs> uh, William Nylander. Get yeah, the the more hair, the better. Imagine telling grown men <laughs> how to groom themselves. Oh, this is dumb to play hockey. Thing. We're we're uh, longs across the board. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no questions asked. From at GT Marley, with all the depth players signed, is there any value to trade away uh, after or during training camp? Um, Keith, do you want to take that? Um, probably Kerfoot. And again, depending on a guy like Robertson, what he does, uh, maybe Mikheyev. Like Those would be two guys that are on good tickets that would be attractive to other teams that you know they would be looking for offensive help um especially a team that might need help down the middle with Kerfoot I get you got to know I guess if a guy like Thornton's able to give you third pair of minutes this year but yeah or third line minutes sorry but yeah those I mean those are like the only two kind of players I can think of on the front end and then I don't know there's not I would be hesitant to trade defensive depth right now I know they have a lot of bodies there but it's a lot also a lot of question marks a lot of uncertainty so um, not by training camp, as the question asks. Um, maybe later in the year, when when you know what's going on, um, perhaps a guy like you know even Dermot. I know we've talked good about him, but if somebody's willing to to you know 
lose a trade to, to acquire Travis Dermott, I think he's a guy that you could maybe part with depending on how things shake out throughout the year. Because I think we talked about that on the first episode too, is like all of, there's no bad contracts left. There's no guys that like you have to like move, um, which is again, like a testament to the the kind of depth that they've assembled and, and the, the the contracts that they're on. Like the, the you know, you, you had the, the two guys that you moved, Johnson, Johnson and Kapanen, they were the only two that really kind of stood out as guys that you could walk away from. Well, I would argue your first point. I don't know if there would be a lot of teams lining up for Kerfoot's deal right now. Um, I think he's one of those guys who might hold more value to the Leafs than he would on the trade market just because he... Especially, they, well, when you consider who's left in free agency, that's yeah, a good point. Yeah, exactly. That's what, uh, what I was getting to is I don't know what the market would be for any of the depth players that the Leafs might be willing to part with at the end of training camp just because there's there are so many options left uh, on free agency. So teams can get them for just salary at, rather than giving up an asset so and probably pretty pretty low salaries right now with guys that just want you know yeah want a contract and the Leafs are going to have to put some guys on waivers at the end of training camp too so maybe you don't want to be giving away additional guys with the risk of losing players on waivers prior to a season that is going to be like none we've seen before yeah I mean you guys kind of touched on it like I feel like it's um you know this is a situation where there are moves potentially to be made, but unless something shakes loose with Kerfoot that makes sense, feels like this is kind of the team that's going to enter the season and like anything that uh, uh, that comes is going to come after they've kind of played uh, played some games and actually kind of shown what they can do. And, and then you make you reevaluate after 20 games or something. I don't know if there's much of a training camp move here, unless maybe Pierre Engvall, but it might be a violation to call that yeah, value. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, but yeah, the value part. What do you get? Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see him being the odd man out and ending up getting moved prior to the season starting. Like, if it doesn't look like there's going to be a spot for him in the Leafs lineup, he's a guy who teams around the league might still value what they saw in the early part of the of his career last year when he came up. Uh, next up, we've got one from Bilal at Billy underscore Chili. When Bilal eventually visits Nova Scotia after making fun of it from afar, will we get drunk at a bar? Uh, another easy one here. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Bilal was when Bilal was getting roasted. He, he was getting he was getting canceled, as he, he likes to say, because um, like I even saw people from like out west in Ontario being like Billy. But, you know the fucking the Maritimes are incredible. It's so much fun there, and he was he was he was he was taking one. And but I mean, absolutely, yeah, we're we're gonna get drunk we will, below whenever he we comes. We will definitely party with you, Billy. Uh, what I was gonna say is, if we're gonna give him the, the true Atlantic Canada experience, I think better than a bar would be a good old fashioned Nova Scotia kitchen party. I would love to see that actually. It, it will have to be a full, you know, a full shebang, right? Because uh, the follow-up was from at beer league hero uh, who asked which bar. And I feel like, um, you know, it's, it's a full day event, right? Like, you know, maybe it's oh, it might be a whole weekend power hour at the split crow. Yeah. Warm up beer somewhere, maybe like loose cannon. Um, then you know you've you've got options like you've got so many live music options right uh, like you say the kitchen party is is an appealing one uh, I, but I, I you know I haven't followed Bilal for too long but I feel like he enjoys chaos and there are good options there <laughs> downtown I feel like the ale house yeah I've been I've been following Bilal for for a few years and I think he's a for any Halifax listeners or people who have gone out in Halifax he looks 
Looks to me like he would be a boomers guy. I think that that would be a spot that he would settle in quite nicely. Or, or I, I think I said on Twitter, the uh, the toothy moose. The toothy uh, moose. I think. Yeah. Yeah. He, he could put in a four a.m. shift at the moose. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think Billy's capable of the four a.m. run. <laughs> yeah. There's a few good places to take it deep. Um, toothy moose <laughs> could could definitely be on the on the agenda. Um, we'll stick with the booze questions. If the Leafs big four were pubs in Nova Scotia, ideally Cape Breton and Halifax, what would they be? And this one is from uh, Ian Cote at Ice Bay Expat. And uh, this is another three pack. So that's the first one. Which uh, would the big four be for uh, Nova Scotia pubs or bars? Um, I want to say for Tavares, I want to say like the, uh, that fiddle place up in Sydney that, that, that like not much goes on there. I want to say that for Tavares. Oh God. Just a kind of boring, but, <laughs> yeah. but like, but like solid nice, option, but like a but nice quaint not... little place to go have a, a drink and, and listen to some traditional music. I had, I had Tavares as, as the Carlton in Halifax for, for similar reasons. It's not flashy. It's, but it's, 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 you know, it's a yeah, straight a edge. One. Yeah, you know, you got a little bit of money. He's got the big contract. It's it's you know a little bit more pricey for drinks there. Solid uh, choice, but but not um, not flashy by any means. Yeah, I, I had uh, Tavares actually down as a bar that tragically just closed recently, Maxwell's Plum. Which you know, to me, Tavares, it's Great like spot. it's it's just consistent. Uh, and you know, going to give you thirty or forty beers uh, every year, <laughs> or every time you're there. Uh, so that that's yeah, that would be my pick for Tavares. For for Nylander, um, it kind of gives me like a lot six vibe, like uh, you know, a cocktail bar kind of thing, a little laid back, little high class. I don't know, dressed up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I could I could see that bitter end or something like that. Um, yeah, I mean. Marner is whatever like the kind of highest energy bar is in the city. I don't really know. <laughs> I, that's not typically my place to go. Uh, probably like a like a like a toothy moose. I could see kind of making sense for him. I just want to say I think that we really need Bilal to make this visit because I am so out of the bar scene. I don't even know what you guys are talking about. So Bilal, come visit, <laughs> and they can show the two of us around the Halifax bar scene again. Since I'm so out of it and uh what what about the the big guy matthews keith what do you think i mean it's not my bar of choice but i mean everybody says that they lie and say that they don't like going to 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 the dome just because (laughs) it's a thing to do but everybody has also been there but he uh yeah i mean biggest bar in the city most popular bar in the city flashiest um, flashiest bar in the city uh you know the people from out of town know it the biggest Uh, yeah he's 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 the dome he's yeah he's he's and he also looks a lot like a guy who would enjoy to go to the dome. <laughs> it's, it's a bit, it's a bit of a, yeah, yeah. He, he would definitely, I, I, I'll say, say no more. There would be many appearances at the dome, but I, I feel like uh, he would really shine earlier in the day at the split crow. Like, I feel like he's just the kind oh, of guy man. who just wheels around with his, you know, doing the power hour. Like he's got his tray of beers and he's just bopping <laughs> back and forth pre COVID or post COVID times, length, table to table, socializing, making an appearance at the dome later in the night. But uh, I feel like the split crow would, <laughs> would really be a spot. What a great question. Uh, that was. That's a yeah, fantastic Thanks, question. Ian. Glad we yeah. went down that rabbit hole and we got uh, two more <laughs> here from uh, Ian as well. Uh, assuming the Leafs can't afford to re-up Freddie next summer or choose not to, how should they approach their goaltending situation? 
and uh, how might a more successful playoff run affect this? Um, you know, we, this is a, a discussion. He's really we've covering had. all the bases here. Yeah, we've had this. Nick, I mean, you've got a lot of Freddy thoughts. Why don't you kick us off? Oh, uh, well, first off, I'm I'm uneasy just about going into this season with Freddy. I realize that there probably wasn't a better option. And if there was, I think Dubas would have made that move. Um, I think that. It, he would have to have a Vesna caliber season for for the Leafs to commit more money in term to him. I think. Um, I think in the future that the Leafs will likely be spending less on the goaltending position. I think that they would like to have two guys that can you know sort of form a tandem, you know, a one A one B situation, and, and maybe not spend five million on on one guy to take all the starts. Um, but yeah, if he has a successful season and they make a run and he's one of the, you know, say top five goaltenders over the course of the season, then it becomes really tricky. That's, I mean, you've got to know when to cut bait on guys, especially like as the guy running the team, as Dubas is, you have to separate those personal relationships, separate emotion from the decision-making process. But there's the other side of it too, is if... Freddie goes out and puts up a Vesna caliber season and say he takes us to the conference finals or something like that. How does it look for Dubas to just walk away from that? That's a tough thing to do as a GM from a, from a PR point of view, not to say that Kyle would make decisions based on how he'd be perceived in the media or, or by the fan base. I think he's always going to do what he thinks is best for the team. But that would really throw a wrench into things because I think as it is right now, Freddie's in a lame duck year. I don't think that there's a great chance that he's back at the end of well, it. Well, the flip side, the flip side there, Nick, right, is that, you know, uh, if, if those conditions fall into place, how can we afford to keep them? Because, you know, that's then, the other thing, too. Yeah. Then it's going to crank up the price on the other end. So it, it, I, I like to, to my first point, I think the Leafs definitely want to spend less on goaltending going forward. So to, to the second part of Ian's question here, if he does have a big year and to the point where he could command even more than he's currently making, I think that would definitely put him out of, uh, out of the Leafs range. Yeah. I mean, look at, I mean, you said like how, how would it look, I guess if, if he won a vet or put up a Vesna quality year and they let him walk, we'll look at Bobrovsky, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. They're, they're, yeah, let somebody else sign that ridiculous contract. Yeah. I, I don't see a scenario at all where he's back. Yeah, and I think no, like I you said, either. I think like you said, if, if there, if the, if the goalie market hadn't been as, crazy as it was this year and you know the flat cap and everything like that i think that he, i don't think he'd be here now so i i mean the, the you know game game one of the 2021 2022 season or whatever years they end up falling in um i think jack campbell's the the starting goalie and opening night and i i think i think that's a dream scenario for the leafs because if you can pencil in a guy for even 60 percent of your starts who's making under two million dollars that affords you a lot of. I think you have the opportunity to do it. I think so too. I think you have the opportunity to do it. I think there's going to be goaltenders available, like veteran cheap goalies that can come in. And I mean, I said this on the last or the first episode. I can't remember, but I'm a, I'm all in on a tandem, um, riding the hot hand. If a guy gets on a hot streak, stick with them. If you know somebody's tired, you have a, a solid option to go with. And Campbell, like. He hasn't shown that he can he can be a number one goaltender, but he also hasn't really had a shot. I think best um, case scenario for Jack Campbell is that he has kind of a a career trajectory of Darcy Kemper, a guy who yeah, only man, absolutely and not to say that it's a likely 
outcome, but I don't think that it's extremely unlikely either. I think there is a chance that he could have that kind of uh, late kind of breakout as a in his late twenties and, and become a legitimate starter. I, it's all about the sample size with him. You know, we saw. Uh, the year before last in LA, I think he put up like a 9.28 save percentage across 30 games great. or he something great. on a he's great really bad team. And he looked good with the Leafs yeah. last year too. So I think he's a guy who, like we talked about it with Dermot and stuff too, putting it together consistently. I think he's going to get more of an opportunity this year. He's definitely going to get more starts than any Leafs backup in recent memory, uh, at least since Freddie's been here, I think. So, yeah, he, I think he, it's going to be a Campbell and like a veteran tandem partner after that, like a, a Hudobin or a, or a Crawford or, you know, somebody in that world, I think is it, like on the cheap. I think that's going to happen. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it feels to me like the only way Freddie is back is if like this, you know, really depressed goalie market affects his, uh, you know, his his contract uh, situation for next year. You know, maybe he doesn't have such a hot season and, um, you know, he decides to just take another deal to stick around in Toronto and maybe it's a little less but um, even then it's it's hard to imagine the discount getting steep enough for it to make sense rather than going with Campbell and yeah. a, a platoon option you know I, I, I can't see him being here um, too much longer personally yeah well, we talked about the contracts for Hyman and Riley you know or potential contracts for them uh, in the next two years if you have to make your choice of retaining those two guys or even one of those guys over Freddie, I think it's it's pretty easy. You could have two goalies making three million combined, yeah. Uh, instead of you know instead of the six and a half between the two right now. Even, even if brand. you can save a million and a half on your goaltending tandem compared to what you're spending now, it, it just it opens up a lot of possibilities for the rest of the lineup. And final one here for me, and final one for the mailbag uh, for this week anyway. Um, this one about Hockey Night in Canada. When Ron McLean retires, who's your pick to replace him as host of HNIC? Uh, Ian says he's got Jeff Merrick. I feel like that's not a bad pick. Uh, Nick, what are your thoughts? Uh, that, that's a logical That's choice. the safe bet. I, I would go with a fellow uh, Sportsnet employee. I, I think uh, David Amber. Is, yeah, that's who I was going to say. Would be, uh, would be a really great... I love watching Dave Amber host the the hockey night panels or whenever he's on broadcast i I think he's a great host he carries that same kind of class and dignity i think like that you get with ron mclean and and he's there's something to be said for like the uh the familiarity with guys like that you know people tune in to watch ron they've been tuning in to watch ron for for decades now so i think that it's got to be a prominent guy, in my opinion, a guy like Merrick or, or a David Amber. Or We wanted to jump in with an update. Just after we recorded this episode, there was an unfortunate incident at a hockey practice in Cape Breton. A young man, Anthony McDonald, who was 15, was struck in the head with a puck. Uh, he is in intensive care right now in Halifax. And uh, today, the hockey community responded. Nick, you know the family. You tweeted about Anthony uh, this morning, and David Amber was actually the the first big name to reach out to you. Uh, tell us about how that unfolded today. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's been a bit uh, overwhelming the response for Anthony and his family during this difficult time. Uh, a friend of the family put together a GoFundMe campaign earlier today 
to just try and ease some of the burden of, you know, these unexpected costs that the family will be dealing with during this time, during Anthony's recovery, you know, if that's something that they shouldn't have to be concerned with <laughs> at a time like this. So uh, I, I just, uh, I shared it on Twitter and I, I tagged a few of more prominent hockey media members. And uh, yeah, some of them were uh, gracious enough to uh, reach out and uh, share the, the GoFundMe campaign. Uh, David Amber in particular was the, the first one to respond to my tweet. Um, I don't think it's it's a secret that David Amber's a pretty great guy. I think you can tell just by watching him on TV. Um, he, he really went above and beyond. He, he went as far as to to send me a direct message and, and uh, offered up a, a little video of support for Anthony and his family. And uh, yeah, it, it's just, it's been really overwhelming. Anthony's family, his mother and his father have have both just been really overwhelmed with the uh, outpouring of support and some of these messages from people like Bob McKenzie and James Duthie. Um, it's, it's just, it's been, uh, it's been really heartwarming to see and uh, we're all hoping for the best for Anthony and his recovery. Well, and good on you for making it happen too. Uh, you know, the, all of the, uh, the outreach from the uh, hockey community came as a result of that tweet. And, you know, we'll certainly be thinking of Anthony and we'll give an update on, on the next episode. Just wanted to give a quick update on, uh, on that um, with everything that's happened the last couple of days. You know, I don't know the family, but uh, I'm really excited for Anthony to come around and see the outpouring of support that uh, has come from the, hockey community and uh let, let's go ahead and lock in david amber as the next host of uh, hockey night in canada why don't we right <laughs> yeah absolutely and uh if if anyone that's listening would would like to show their support for anthony and his family you can uh find the link to his gofundme campaign on my uh, twitter account at underscore nick richard um, it's, it's being shared all over the internet right now and any bit of support or positive thoughts, Anthony's way would be greatly appreciated. Uh, the Growlers just announced a 200-page hardcover book uh, detailing their uh, first season in Newfoundland and Labrador. And uh, they are uh, th- that's available now. Of course, they won the Kelly Cup in their first year in the ECHL. We talked about that. Um, so that's available now. That's pretty cool. Um, I-, I think my jersey that I ordered has arrived in Cape Breton. So I got to get my hands on that soon. Um Ooh, I might have to go to your folks' place and steal it. Yeah, you could uh, you could uh, send me a hostage pick. Um, <laughs> the uh, Growlers have had an interesting history. I mean, I shouldn't say the Growlers. Just hockey in Newfoundland, professional hockey and otherwise, has had an interesting. Uh, uh, you know, stay on the island. Uh, obviously, you know, lots of people will remember the St. John's Maple Leafs in the AHL, and uh, you know they've had some goes in the uh, the Q League and other pro leagues. And uh, you just hope that the Growlers are going to uh, be there to stay, and um, that the Leafs, you know, continue to, uh, to to see that as a worthy investment. And and we hope the training camp will be back, and that we'll be actually be able to go to it. Uh, maybe not this season, but uh, hopefully sometime soon. With apologies to my my good friend Ryan Graham, who played on the team but their Q the St. John's Fog Devils has got to be the worst name <laughs> in the history of hockey for the Fog Devils yeah not not a fan I grew up watching AHL hockey in St. John uh, for the St. like watching the St. John Flames and always you know the, the St. John's Maple Leafs were in the same division and all that and was always like super jealous that 
the St. John's had the Maple Leafs and St. John had the Flames. Yeah, <laughs> obviously, growing up being a huge Leafs fan, that we, we were close, but but uh, it was weird, you know, rooting against a Leafs jersey as a kid watching watching those games. And uh, wanted to, to mention a, a women's hockey um, news story from the last few weeks that uh, I, I saw that, Nick, I, I don't know, this might make you feel real old. I know it did for me. Um, this is a real local one, kind of. Um, Jennifer McCaskill was just named I did see in that. the last few weeks the head coach of the Manhattanville uh, NCAA Division Three women's hockey team. I did see that. What a hockey family they were growing up around here. I actually coached her little brother for a little bit when he played high school hockey here. Um, I, I never coached Jennifer. She played with my sister uh, briefly, I think in novice, and I coached my sister and her peers. I think like the next year, so I missed Jennifer, and I, I, you know, obviously would have loved to, to be able to coach someone that talented because I would just go out and watch her score ten goals in novice every single game while watching my sister play. <laughs> and then she went on to like captain all of the boys' teams, you know, the only girl on the boys' team kind of thing growing up, and uh, went off to to you know uh, play like all the way through uh, college and eventually in the CWHL as well and has been assistant coach for this team for the last couple of seasons and now at uh, just age of 24 taking over as head coach of this team so uh yeah that'll uh, that'll make me feel uh old watching someone who tore up the novice circuit in cape breton and and nearby uh she's not from cape breton i should make note alds cove very close by but uh yeah (laughs) she can throw a rock and hit gotta make gotta make that distinction though um want to go from one uh anaganish county native to another we're going to wrap up with uh, a tune from a good buddy of ours andre pettipaw and the giants is the band and uh andre is a buddy and even though he is a filthy habs fan we are going to feature his music <laughs> on our show um that's how much we love he, he just released a new single we do love him he uh he just got hitched as well i was actually when we recorded yes, episode congratulations, two congratulations andre and just when we recorded episode two i was uh, battling a hangover uh, uh, from that wedding, um, you know, weird time to, to get married, right? Um, all the regulations and, uh, no, it's, it's not what anyone would, would want to do, but, um, I, I feel like without the regulations, Andre would have like 800 people at his wedding. He's like the most social. That's on the low end. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. So if you turn into a huge, like a music festival with like 10 bands playing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Andre is uh, uh, just one of the hardest workers, um, you know, I, I've ever met. He's uh, a, g- a good pal. And uh, yeah, we wish uh, he and uh, his lovely bride, Justine, uh, all the best. Um, and yeah, congrats. Like, guys. talk about a hard worker. Like, they, they. It's unreal. Like, I saw it up close for years. When back in my younger days, when I fancied myself a musician, uh, my band often opened for Andre's band at the time. And just to see all the work that he's put in over the years, and even times where if he couldn't get the band together, he would just book shows and play them by himself anyway. Like, just a crazy talented dude works his ass off i'm so happy to see him finally getting some recognition for all of that hard work and uh yeah he's a guy that's gonna make it works his ass off off stage and on stage the guy the guy's everywhere he puts on a show he's fun to watch um i've, I've had the pleasure of playing a couple shows with him with uh 
with Natalie, um, you know, a, a few times, and um, it doesn't matter, you know, if he's playing to like a sold out bar, like the, the night at the carriage house, whether it was, you know, packed to the to kind of all four walls, or, you know, we we played some shows where there weren't that many people there, and he's the exact same guy, which is a mark of he's a, a pro, pretty fucking, he's yeah, a pro. exactly, he's a pro, yeah, he's the Zach Hyman uh, of front, he brings it every <laughs> of the, night, yeah, and you know what he you're does. gonna get from him. <laughs> And uh, yeah, off on his honeymoon in the Annapolis Valley right after the the wedding ceremony and then right into uh, planning for the brand new single, which we're going to hear now from Andre Pettipaw and the Giants. Uh, This one was co-written and produced by uh, John Angus McDonald of the Trues, uh, another Antigonish County group that uh, you may have heard of. (laughs) And and as a quick quick aside, I I saw him recently with you, Cam, in, in Halifax, and I didn't get a chance to confirm this with him or not but i'm 99 sure he said that a guy that's in blind melon is playing on his last record or was in blind melon i if that's not true then i know uh, th- yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll strike that from the record that's insane that's his that's his band too right crazy yeah like yeah that's his idols the, the fact that he ended up getting to work with someone from blind melon it's uh that's pretty damn cool uh, andre is a man of many talents as well he actually designed our logo for the podcast so uh thanks to him for that the new single is sympathy card this has been lamenting the leafs thanks for listening One, two,